Welcome to bizpod.ninja, your central hub for business wisdom from rockstar entrepreneurs, CEOs, VCs, corporate development gurus, and more. Join us weekly for Truths from the Trenches with your host and business ninja, Andreas Penna. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of CorpDev.Ninja. I think it's been a pretty crazy week for everyone, given the elections. I think, yep, I've got you on. I see you, Brian. Hello. How are you doing? Doing great. <laughs> what a what a crazy week. And, and we're going to get into your background. And, and you know, I, you've, I've got some really juicy questions to ask. And you've got some great insights that we'll, that we'll share on, on the show. But what a week just before we... Before I know. I was, I was saying earlier, I've watched more MSNBC in the last 72 hours than I've watched in the last seven years. So it has <laughs> been, it's been a thing. Yeah, I probably, I've watched for sure. I've been pretty glued this past week. And yeah, I, I think I've been like scrolling between CNBC, CNN. I've even been watching Fox as well, which I've never done ever. But I'm like, I'm just wanting to see what everyone is saying across all sides. Um, oh yeah. Well, I say Kornacki's my new hero. Like the guy is 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 amazing. Yeah. So. When do you think they're going to call it? When do you think we're going to have the final, the final say, final judgment? Oh, it's what in 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 two thousand. It was December fourth or fifth, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I'd probably put the over under in after Thanksgiving. I mean, the networks will say will call it soon. I think yeah. probably today or tomorrow, but maybe early next week. But you know, this isn't going to get sorted quickly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not going to get sorted quickly. So, thanks for joining, everyone. This is episode seventeen. Um, Brian Goldfarb joining joining us from I thought originally San Francisco, but then I realized like no, he lives in Seattle. So we changed that last minute in the title card. How is uh, Seattle? Seattle's great, you know, rainy, cold winter. It's not San Francisco, so I feel like we've upgraded over here. It, it's definitely an, it's definitely an upgrade. And uh, no, I used to live in. That's how we know each other. We both moved to Seattle around the same time, but you were a year a year ahead of me. We both started off at at Microsoft together with our original crew of quote unquote marketing leadership recruits from undergrad. Those were that was a long time ago. Now it feels like yesterday, though. Yeah, I had more hair. I was younger. I... <laughs> Oh, you know, the hair still looks great. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> this is great. How are you holding up just in general in COVID? Are you are you pretty much quarantining? I did a, a trip last week for the first time in eight months in a plane. It's the least amount of travel I've ever did, or I've ever did, I've ever done, including since being an infant. So I, I've never traveled the least amount of time as, as I have. Today, are you traveling anywhere? Have you gone anywhere? Are you- oh, we've been we've been very quarantined. We have not really left town. We we drove on a little trip, which was a nice change of scenery. Have not been on a plane since RSA in February, which was the last kind of oh, trip yeah. I I did. So yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's the least travel I've done in ever, frankly. Yeah, and then before this one, it's it's actually quite nice. I I I tell everyone including my parents. I'm like, I've literally worked three years in one year. Like yeah. oh. I've gotten so much stuff done, including this show and like other things. It's like, it just goes to show that like travel can be, and sometimes I would, 
subconsciously travel to places because I thought I had to, but it was more or less me, you know, less being about efficient, more about like, hey, I just want to change things up and travel. So crazy. So we certainly all learned that we can get a lot of what we need to get done without actually getting on a plane. I think that's been a big aha moment for so many people in the last seven months or so. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, yeah, remote work's going to change. I've been doing it for eight years and uh, now I'm happy the world is, is on my on my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, I'm going to give you a quick bio for the folks who are listening live and who will listen later. Brian Goldfarb was most recently the chief marketing officer and SVP of business development at Chef Software, which was sold to Progress Software last month. So hot off the heels of an M&A and we're going to get into that uh, yeah. shortly. Prior to joining Chef, Brian was the chief marketing officer at Splunk from 2016 to 2019, leading that digital business, leading that business through a major digital marketing transformation. Brian also served as SVP of platform and app cloud marketing at Salesforce from 2015 to 2016. From 2012 to 2015, he also served as head of marketing of cloud platform at Google, launching Google's multi-billion dollar cloud service provider to compete with Amazon and Microsoft. Really, like, I definitely want to learn more about that because that's yeah, that super impressive. Previously, Brian served in product ma marketing and product management roles at Microsoft from 2003 to 2012 across developer tools and platforms, IT infrastructure systems, digital media, and cloud computing. Brian holds an AB from Duke University in comp sci in economics. Man, what an impressive background. Mouthful, man. You've done a lot. I mean, like now that I think about it, it feels like yesterday since we were all joined Microsoft, when I read that bio, I'm like, wow, you, you've done, you've had a lot of career changes and different tracks between Microsoft and Google. You've done the startup thing and- I have a lot of uh, a varied set of experiences at large companies, at smaller companies, at growing companies, at, you know, turnaround sorts of things. And it's been, it's an incredible learning experience. And I think, you know, we, the whole M&A conversation will be fascinating, having now been on both sides of the table, the table. Uh, by design. And it's been a pretty amazing experience. I think that's the future, though. Like people who have varied, I find the best business leaders and people, I mean, if you want to take an executive or leadership position at a company or even start your own company, it's, I, I can't, I can't like, express enough to folks especially younger folks that it's great to start off at a larger company so you can refine those skills and you know building that professional gravitas and like learning process and analysis yeah. and just refining yourself and then going to a smaller experience and then either continuing that path or jumping back in but having that wide vari uh, variety of experiences can only strengthen you as a business leader either in your own business your own startup or you know if you want to be at a large corporate rising to the ranks if that's what if that's what you want to go do. So well, I, I joke, I've been chasing smaller and smaller companies, right? We started with over a hundred thousand at Microsoft. And so anything smaller was going, was being smaller. But I think you're the, the interesting thing about leadership, when you're at a, one company for a long time, particularly a large company, which is an amazing place to learn. Like, there's mm -hmm. nothing, you can't get a better MBA, better set of core business experiences than you get working for an established, mature organization. Like they just have so much, capability that you can learn from but right. if you're there for too long i think one of the muscles you don't get to exercise is the ability to learn how to do it someplace else different right. cultures, different processes different personalities different ways of being successful and so that 
that that muscle can sometimes not get exercised enough. And so that, well, that roundedness that you discuss in leadership is really being able to have varied experiences and figure out how to do your thing, regardless of where it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's a, that's definitely some, some major wisdom that I think, you know, as I've mentored folks that like, yeah, you just got to go do, just try a bunch of stuff, see what sticks. Because by the time you're in your mid thirties or in your forties, you should already be like, well, on your, on your way of knowing what you're good at. And sometimes it takes longer. So I'm really interested, hot off the heels of an M&A. Tell me about the process and what was your role to see this through successfully. So congratulations on the M&A. Thank you. Yes, it was uh, the transaction closed last month, which was great uh, to a public company. Interesting journey. We started kind of the very beginnings of the process before COVID and we're, we're going through you know, a mm-hmm. traditional sell side M&A process, right? We, my role coming from the marketing and BD side was mainly in how do you package the story for right you know, for a potential investor or potential, potential buyer. And, and how do you get that, you know, get the CEO prepared to have that conversation? That was my principal role. And, you know, later, obviously during diligence, uh, very hands-on and all the different components. But I think from my background and my experience, the storytelling component becomes the most important. And so we started it like you would any other corp dev conversation. We took it on the road. We've been out by a bunch of people. There's a lot of travel involved for. What was uh, the what was the impetus to do this M and A? Was there inbound interest? Was there combination looking for a capital capital raise and or M and A mainly just to to execute against a thesis of DevOps market consolidation, which. It's, it's an absolutely true thesis. We were trying to figure out our role in that. We started the conversations of like, how do you a- access more capital, which ultimately led into a a sell side event, right? We the company was was trying to find you know the cash to go execute against that thesis, but we hit the COVID wall, and COVID is interesting. I was going to say, how did you, because you're one of the very few companies I have heard of to go through a transaction during COVID time. So really interesting to understand what, what, how did that affect the process? Well, I mean, capital markets ceased to operate in April, right? I think we all kind of saw very varied versions of that public equity markets crashed. Businesses were super confused about what it meant for forecasts. Like no one was doing anything. So our process stopped. Yeah. Uh, I stopped capital raising for, or not capitalizing, but making investments for my VC fund from like end of March for like two, three months, like completely. I was yeah. just like, yeah. Because people sense. would pump the brakes. Like even if you weren't worried or you had a bullish outlook, there was just no transactions. There was nothing, right? Everyone right. was afraid and confused and rightly so. I, I think yeah. it was peak confusion, hysteria, lack of understanding. So it was the correct thing for the market to do, right, was to just stop. Right. Uh, we saw that across everything. We saw that in the business and what was looking, you know, from a pipeline perspective. We saw that from customers who were all trying to figure out their own how do they shore up liquidity, how do they reduce costs, things like right. that. And then on the M and A side, everyone was like, "Yeah, cool. We're gonna, you know, see what happens." And so April, May, and June were quiet, and that was fine. We were just running the business like everybody else, trying to figure out what COVID meant. And I think as we got to June and many companies, I think in technology have seen this, the COVID tailwind became a little bit more apparent. Like there right. was all 
fear of what, what it was going to mean. And, 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 and actually, it created a bunch of secular impact, right? Like certain businesses, obviously, travel, entertainment, those types of things have taken uh, a very large hit, disproportionate hit relative to, say, Zoom or oh, yeah. technology companies that were totally polarizes what whichever side of the equation you're on. Yeah, it, it the money didn't go away; it just reallocated itself. Reallocated right? heavily, yeah. And, and you know, being on the IT side, automation was a beneficiary, a tailwind. So we saw capital markets come back in the June timeframe. And and what was fascinating about RMA, we did the whole thing for all. Basically, it was like a process one that ended, and then a <laughs> process two that was all done remote. That's remarkable to me. Nuts. All remote. We never met anyone in person, not once, no one. <laughs> oh my goodness. Was, that, was, was it disclosed? Does it publicly disclose the value of the M&A or? Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a $220 million all cash transaction. Wow, and, and, and not a single person met. That is phenomenal. So hats off yeah, to your storytelling. Hats off to your storytelling, Brian. I gotta learn. <laughs> you know, quarter billion dollars enterprise value created without anyone meeting in person. And that's, you know, that's the status quo now, right? That's, that's the way it is. But in June, was that my mind. weird. I think yeah. that's the thing. You have to, like, we've, it's now what, day 487 of March. But yeah. in day 60 of March, it was unheard of to think that you could do pretty much anything. Like executive hiring, certainly m and in, right. in a world, in a business that's so reliant on, Let's go to dinner. Let's shake hands. Let's look each other in the eye and, and say how we're going to do this. It, it's what I think the big learning, it really made you focus on, on a different set of fundamentals, right? It was less about the, you know, how did you hit it off with people and way more about like, like here's the story, here's the meaning, here's what we're going to go do. Let's go get it done. And it was hyper efficient, to be honest. No planes, no bankers flying back and forth. Everything was virtual, super fast. And that was a pretty incredible part of the process. Remarkable, remarkable. Well, yeah, I, I've, I'm actually doing two M&As right now. I'm an advisor to two, two companies in an M&A process. And it's true, like everything is, is actually one's just starting right now. I yeah. don't expect we're gonna have to do much travel, but they will not be on the uh, scale as, as 200, quarter of a billion dollars. So if you can get it across the line at a quarter of a billion dollars, then I should be able to get it across the line without meeting as well and be efficient. But it is, it is, I'm noticing changes. What's up? Just send a bottle of champagne and you're fine. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's amazing. What, so, you know, moving, switching gears a little bit, focused on Splunk. What deal are you most proud of at Splunk uh, at your time there? Yeah, we only did a handful of, of M&A while I was uh, CMO at Splunk. We were very much- It doesn't have to be M&A. It can be, it can be cor anything corp dev, BD, like- Oh, there was so much, a lot of, B, a lot of technical BD, but I actually think the Victor, we bought a company called VictorOps out of Boulder. And IT kind of competed with PagerDuty and OpsG yeah. in that kind of uh, on-call space. And that, that was just a lot. That one was more, I'm mean, proud of isn't necessarily the right word, but it was just a lot of fun. Working with that team, small company, they had, I think the most interesting challenge we were working through is their model was more of a high trans high transactional velocity PLG model. Mm. And Splunk was pre predominantly a, you know, high ASP, long sales cycle enterprise, enterprise company. And right. 
trying to figure out how to blend and understand those two types of businesses and how do you you know, reconstruct an MRR business in a lot of ways inside of an ACB or ARR business mm-hmm. uh, was, I think, the most uh, interesting component of that transaction. But it was that was a lot of fun. Great team, cultural blend. So that was the one I think I but not most proud of, but certainly the one I had the most fun doing. How long did that take you? <sighs> that was pretty quick. Quarter, maybe? Three months. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fast. Yeah. I, I always say M&As typically take uh, the shortest amount of time, three months. Yeah, typically, it might have been four, average six. Four or five months. I don't think, I, to be fair, I may not have been involved in the very beginning of the dialogue right. when I got it. So maybe there was a couple months in front of it, but got it. it kind of recalled being pretty fast clip uh, yeah. once it got going. Awesome. How does Corp Dev differ at large companies like Salesforce versus startups? And, you know, we know that you also had a, a big role at, at Salesforce previously. But just it's, curious. I how think do you, how do they differ? my view, yeah, that's a great question. I think the view is in as companies mature, the corp dev function matures. And mm-hmm. like any anything at scale, you get specialization, you get focus. I mean, so Salesforce has an incredible corporate development team, whether it's ventures or the, the venture side of the house or the later stage or even just yeah. the M&A components that they do. And it was a a big machine, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in a, in a big company, you typically don't get your hands on all the different M and A conversations, like in your stovepipe. So when we were doing some of the in the platform side, we had some early conversations about different companies that could be interesting. So my role in in Corp Dev was mainly on the partner piece and less on the M and A side, which mm-hmm. I think is the reality. Either you're in Corp Dev or you're not in Corp Dev, and then you're right. a deal sponsor in your little universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, I think, the biggest difference. In the smaller companies, you know, everyone like plays a hand. So when we were looking at buy side transactions, a right. lot of the debate was like, "Hey, how do we even have the capacity to manage this type of an activity? Whether it's a partnership deal." So, like, you know, at Chef, we always had we had a lot of business development work with Amazon and and Microsoft and Google on the cloud provider side. Mm-hmm. You just had all these capacity constraints that you know, made it kind of an interesting dialogue. That's kind of one piece, but everyone had a hand. I think that's the biggest difference. And then obviously, if you're a big giant company, you're generally the buy side, that's uh, right. not the sell side. And I'll tell you, the buy unless side you, is- great, Unless great. you divest, and that's well, rare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your GE. Yeah. Awesome. So what was the big, and you also spent quite a while at, at Google and obviously Microsoft. What was the biggest learning lesson from Google? And this is before, I think that was a step right before you, you, you know, you, you had a major role or an executive position at Salesforce, but you had a, a major role at Google as well. So what was the biggest learning lesson from Google? It was, a, it, the Google role was fun because it was a build job, right? It was the ultimate do a startup with, with, with complete safety net, all the different pieces of Google behind you. I think one of the one of the biggest learnings, though, is companies have a dance, a thing that they do real well. And when you are working in a category or a space that's fairly different from their innate thing, it creates a really different kind of dynamic. And so, like, you know, in simple terms, Microsoft was a B2B company, right? And Mm -hmm. Google was not. And so we used to have like really interesting conversations like, hey, this cloud business is going to be big 
or I remember we'd have conversations to the extent of the cloud business is probably going to be as big as the advertising business. And the advertising people would look at you and say, you're crazy. (laughs) No, but like, actually it's probably bigger potentially from a gross revenue perspective. And it just, that DNA and that culture can be really challenging in Mm. a lot of ways. And so you look at the evolution of that business. I mean, it was 6 million ARR in 2012 and now it's probably what eight or nine billion if i had to guess oh my goodness on that in terms of market cap (sighs) is it like who knows none of these they're not independent right like if you spun aws out of amazon what would the market cap be you know 350 400 500 billion maybe more wow like it's hard to say like what's the market cap of what's the composition of Amazon's market cap that's from AWS? It could be a trillion dollars of it for all we it know. Could be. It could be. Because it is extremely high margin. It's extremely efficient uh, yeah. business. Like that's the- Probably, that's- I would say 20 to 30X is unless, I'm, and I'm sure I'm going to get a text message from somebody after this being like, you know, from the public equities market, some of my friends here are traders like, oh, is that 20, 30X? But I would guess that. It might be. Two, I mean, 300 million. And you, and you yeah. help. You help build that. Yeah, I mean, look, you think about the multiples that are given to high NRR businesses right now. Cloud is like a great example of extremely high NRR, right? Big deals that grow with consumption over time with basically infinite TAM. Right. If you look at comps in the marketplace where there's 80x multiples, like saying 20 to 30 doesn't feel crazy. Doesn't feel crazy because I think I think Shopify is like at 80x. Yeah, Snowflake's at ADX, right? High, High, um, extremely high NRR businesses, 160 plus percent. Like they can basically take, you know, next 12 months revenue times 40, 30 to 40X, they're growing at 120%. Like you get, you get to that 80 number. I mean, just kind of do this comp. Splunk is about 2 billion ARR-ish. They're trading at, 30 billion market cap. Mm. So that's 15X. 15X, yeah. And Snowflake's about 250 million ish. Mm. And they're trading at 60 billion. Yeah, huge. So <laughs> that, you know, they got a lot to grow into, but it's going to be, it's, it's something I think about a lot. And yeah, being part of the construction of that, you know, they're at the very beginning of the journey. Just trying to figure out, not product market fit, because that was defined by Amazon. It was, that was defined by Amazon. Google yeah. market fit. Like, how do you get Google to think about the business in a way that gets investment and thought leadership? And that's taken them 10 years, eight years. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. What's the biggest learning lesson that you got from, from Microsoft? And how, wait, how many years were you there for? Just short of 10. Just short of 10. Okay. So you've, you've, I'm sure you've got a nice cherry in there some, somewhere of the, of the, of your biggest learning lesson at Microsoft. And I'm curious as well, selfishly, because we started around the same time. So I'm, I'm curious biggest learning lesson at Microsoft. I don't know if this is the answer you would And it's also your first like professional job actually. So it was my first post-collegiate professional full-time yeah. job. Yeah. It's, you know, I'll tell you that Microsoft's a giant company. We were there in the bomber days, not the Satya days. So a fairly different organization than it is today. And I would say the biggest learning that I keep with me today was this idea, I call it the favor bank. And it was a, like, you know, in a giant company 
to get anything done, someone has to do you a favor mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. There's very little you in the like, like you have your little patch, right? At, even at any level of seniority, whether you're like 21 and you do this tiny little thing or you're 30, 31 <laughs> and you run a big team, right? you need other people to get things done. And right. that's how large companies, large matrix companies work. And I learned early on that the best way is to just help as many people out as you possibly can so that you can get their support when you need it. And I don't know. I'm not like sure it's probably Pay, pay it forward, karma points, political. Yeah, I call it the favor bank, right? Because the world operates on favors. I do it for you, you do it for me, and that's how we get things to move forward. That's actually, I think that's a good credo just in life in general. I've always been, I've never thought, like I'm not a zero sum type of person, and I've learned that like the more that you can just help people genuinely and authentically, and you have time to do it and you're able to help folks, like, you some folks may you know that might return in the future or it may not but you shouldn't be thinking about that in the aggregate yeah in the aggregate it's going to help you out and those people who don't know how to like do favors for others or help others they're always going to be stuck at a at a at a at at the place that they are early on in their career whatever they want to do in life so yeah favor i love the favor bank idea because that's something that i didn't even know how to name but i i've you know, I'm a proponent and keep it in the uh, flesh is what I always used to say to myself. You always want to never be in debt. The, yeah. The, and, and, and to some extent, the key, the key part is the authenticity of it, right? You, you want to do it because it's the right thing to do. And the artist, the thing we trade in is time. Like all of us are so busy and right. finding ways to make that time, particularly when you're younger in career and you have more access to minutes. And you can use that for good or you can use that for yourself and others. Like that's a super positive thing. Yeah. Love that. Brian, what are you up to today? So how off the heels of an acquisition, you're no longer, are you, have you helped with the integration or you're at your, I'm done. No, I was done. done on the deal close, which was, uh, which is excellent. Awesome. So what do you, what, what's your next, what are you looking for next? What's your next uh, step? I'm hanging out with my dog. who's like passed out in the corner. Uh, and the name? That's Remy. Remy. Oh. He's really cute. I won't. I won't bore everyone by by bringing him up here. <laughs> he's been a boy. He's been my COVID, or my wife and I's COVID like savior. Let me tell yeah. you. That's by been- the way. I got a, I got a Bengal uh, kitten a couple months ago for the same reason. Didn't realize like it's been year. It's been like 15, 20 years since I've had a pet. And I'm like. Now I'm, I, I forgot how amazing and awesome it is and like oh. how much like endless love and like social interactions that you have. It's incredible. He, he's a participant in many meetings and makes everybody happy. we here in a minute. The, right now I'm actually going through this. You get this very rare to be able to have this opportunity. I'm just talking to tons and tons of companies, different CEOs in all these different spaces and trying to figure out what the right next thing is for myself. I, I, I have a bunch of different ideas, but I've been blessed to have dozens and dozens of conversations. And we're kind of at this cool juncture in time right. where so many technology companies are having so much success and growth that it's a great time to be a marketer. It's a great time to be in technology. And I'm in learn mode, which the longer I can continue to be in learn mode and, and, and get to experience what's out there, I think is the better. Although my wife would tell you she'd prefer that I don't do this much longer. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sure you're going to have, you know, a unlimited optionality and opportunity lists uh, shortly. Yeah. Are, you, are you still, are you focused on being a CMO still or more? Actually. I've been looking at sort of like earlier stage companies. There's a couple really interesting ones that are in kind of the data space, which is my background that are, I think, super interesting and places where I can help and kind of continuing down that CMO role. But I've also started thinking about like, what does it mean to go back to being more of a specialist or even expanding towards general management. So I, I, there's just a lot of different places to play, which is, you know, I'm, given my background, I'm, I'm lucky. Well, after this, I actually, you know, I had a eureka moment. There's a couple of portfolios of mine. I I think you'd be a great, it would be great for you, you at least to, to know who they are and vice versa to see if there's a, a good fit there. Hey, Remy. Come on, come make a cameo for LinkedIn Live here. See, he, he is my secret weapon. Uh, that, is, that is a corp dev move. That's how you disarm any hard-nosed negotiator. You'd be surprised. <laughs> he has been a very effective negotiator or uh, certainly heart, a heart warmer for folks as we've all been stuck behind cameras. So Yeah, super, super cute. So that, I guess we're at the tail end of our show. A couple, couple questions. So keeping busy, you're keeping busy uh, at home with Remy. Are you working? Do you have a Peloton like everyone else? I have like- the Peloton. That has been my life change. My other COVID pandemic savior. Like, and I mean like 500 miles a month addicted to Peloton. Really? Yeah, it's been, a, I love it. It's such a great product. Oh, awesome. You know, I, I've been like, and I'm such a like, gadget freak. Anyone who knows me and has been over to my place, they're like, this is like a home of the future. I, and they're like, everyone's surprised. They're like, why don't you have a Peloton? But I have a proper road bike that I cycled from uh, Paris to Monaco last year. Oh, nice. Uh, cost, you know. Road bike of, what's up? Road bike prices, yeah. Road bike prices, yeah. I didn't realize these things can be the cost of a, of a, of a cheap car. I was like, wow. But expensive. And so... I'm like, I already bought this bike. I have it on this system, like a Wahoo kicker, but I have to install it and, and, and take it off and assemble and reassemble. And I've just found I'm not using it uh, all the time. And so folks are like, if you just get a Peloton, just have a Peloton and you know, you don't have to reconfigure it. It's really easy and it's fun. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's that, it's that, it's been that awesome of an experience for you. Wow. Oh, I'm a big, I'm evangelist. I, I do no brainer. Okay. So, and there's, there's a new model out there, right? They yeah. Have the, I, I, Get the old one. It doesn't make a difference. Get get the get the nice one. Doesn't matter. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same bike at the end of the day. It's the same bike. They awesome. just, I mean, they're a perfect example. But they nailed the network effect early. They built a huge community. And they have tons of content. They've embraced third parties in smart ways. Okay, you want out? And you know, yeah. it's it's super powerful. But yeah, that's been good. Definitely a good pandemic respite. Particularly in Seattle when it rains a lot. It's when it rains a lot, yeah. Are you watching anything on... I just started watching season two of Mandalorian on Disney. Ooh. I actually liked it. Queen's Gambit we just finished. It was actually oh, that, pretty pretty wonderful. That one's awesome. Pretty wonderful pretty wonderful piece on Netflix. My wife's decided to rewatch Dawson's Creek. So, you know, that's been... That's, <laughs> that's my option. The election or Dawson's Creek. So you, I can choose... That's reason. And then, how are you feeding yourselves? Are you guys? Are you? I I don't know. Are you? Are you? Do you like to cook? Are you? Or do you like? Either uh, you know, how are we feeding ourselves? Oh my gosh, we have cooked more in the pandemic than I think we ever have. But still doing the blend. Uh, we want to keep our local businesses alive. Frankly, it's very important to us. So we 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 mix it up. But I've gotten better at cooking. <laughs> 
so I will not starve and die in the future, which is probably a good thing. I don't know. It's been, it just forces you to re totally slow down. I mean, I think we're all working more because there's no, well, I'm working so much more and there's no separation, but I also think it's gotten us all, at least in my life to stop and appreciate some of the littler things that maybe you get lost in running through airports and yeah, totally. yeah all the, all the things. So it's been really positive. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we are at the tail end. Brian Goldfarb, loved having you on the show. Congratulations on all the success. Thank you very much for the insights that you've um, yeah, shared with us regarding M&A, COVID, building, building multi, you know, 100 plus billion, 200, 300 billion dollar divisions at Google and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, I'll follow up with you after as well regarding a couple opportunities I think that you might want to might want to see as well. So thank, thank you so much. Sir. All right. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.